Well, last week we began our series of talks on the topic of community. We looked at how God made us for community with him and with others. And today the topic we're looking at is the topic of broken community. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Gracious Father God, we thank you that your word brings life. So please, as we read your word today, cut us to our hearts, bring us life so that we might hear and obey your word. Help me to speak your word uh, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we began our series on the topic of community by looking at how God made us for community. And this week, with broken community, we're going to see what happened after that. Superman and Batman. Before the Marvel movies, so they're all the rage today, back in my day, the two biggest superheroes were Superman and Batman. You could not get any more different superheroes than these two. Superman from another planet, he represents strength and idealism, he's good, he's the representation of everything we aspire to. Batman, on the other hand, he's the, the gritty anti-hero who fights his inner demons as much as he fights uh, criminals. And the cities from which these two superheroes come from are also very different. You have Superman's metropolis, a shining city of decent citizens going about their life, often depicted in daylight, where all the threats to this city are external threats, alien attacks, supervillains. On the other hand, you've got Batman's Gotham City, always depicted in darkness, where apart from the villains, the threats are also from inside, internal threats, greed and corruption of city officials, making the line between the good guys and the bad guys hard to distinguish. The city of Melbourne. I wonder which city you think Melbourne is more like, metropolis or Gotham City. I suspect that many who don't live in Melbourne would say that we are like metropolis. We are regularly voted one of the most livable cities in the world, maybe not so much during lockdown. Currently, our community feels a bit broken, doesn't it? I mean, the AFL Grand Final didn't take place at the MCG. It took place at night as well. How shocking. And many would argue that all of the things we're suffering at the moment are just due to external threats, coronavirus, lockdown. And so the rhetoric goes, if we just stand together and stand up to this war on this virus, we'll go back to the normal way of life after we eradicate it. But I think the reality is a bit more complicated than this. I suspect that we're more like Gotham City than we would care to admit that the threats are as much internal as they are external. You know, we're tired of political spin and half-truths. We grow weary of greed and corruption by union officials and corporate leaders alike. Our families are broken by marriage failure and by violence. And the most vulnerable in our community, unborn children and refugees, have no voice. Rates of suicide and depression are just as high before the virus as during the virus. You see, if we live in the most livable city in the world, surely we would be the happiest people in the world, the most generous, the kindest 
people in the world, and I don't think we are, are we? Our community is broken. It was broken before COVID-19. But how do we explain it and, and what do we do about it? This is what I want to say today from the Bible. We're broken by sin and we need to repent and lament. We're broken by sin and we need to repent and lament. Well, let's look at the first point. We're broken by sin and we need to repent. Last week, God made us for community. We saw that. God made us for relationship with him and for relationship with each other. And we saw that in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. It's a wonderful picture of loving, other-centered community. But by chapter 3 of Genesis, everything is different. The serpent poses that question that all of us have grappled with since then. Chapter 3, verse 4 of Genesis. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. God gave Adam and Eve everything, and they lost it all in rebellion against God. The Bible calls this sin. They wanted to be like God in verse 5. They wanted to be God's equal. Christians call this the fall. Sin enters into the relationships in the garden and destroys the wonderful community between mankind and God, between man and woman, and between mankind and the rest of creation. And I want you to see just how far they fell in their community. God would take evening walks in the garden to commune with Adam and Eve. That's the kind of relationship they had. But because of their sin, Adam and Eve are now hiding their guilt and their shame before God. And when God points out their sin, we see the first, but certainly not the last, blame shifting in history. Look at verse 12. The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Adam is blaming both God and his wife. That is what sin does to community. Sin breaks community. God made us to be image bearers of himself. We saw that last week. And we were meant to reflect God's glory, not replace God's glory. But sin says no to God and yes to self. I want to call the shots. I want to be God. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 1, verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The Bible calls this idolatry. And idolatry is not just the worship of things or the worship of bad things. Often it can be the turning of good things into God things. God made relationships. He made a good thing. Community was God's idea. But community can so easily become 
idolatry. What do I mean by that? We replace God with community. Instead of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we expect that other relationships should meet our deepest needs. And we get to determine that. Like Adam and Eve, we want to be God. We want to call the shots. I wonder how many of you still think that marriage will meet your deepest needs. That special someone who will satisfy all your deepest longings for community. It's one of my roles. I prepare young people for marriage. And one of the things I get to do is to break their hearts. They're full of hope for their marriage. And then I put forward this scenario to them. You've been married for several years, and then one day your spouse comes home from work and says, I want to talk to you about something. I I assure you nothing has happened, but I've started to feel attracted to someone from work. I wanted to tell you because I don't want this to destroy our marriage. I want our marriage to work. I just want to be honest with you. Well, you can imagine how everyone responds to that scenario. They're shattered. The shiny gloss of their marriage is gone forever. I thought we would be different. I thought we would, we would be different because we found the right person. We would never look at anyone else in that way. Well, you need to get real, I say. Because it's probably going to happen to your marriage. Sin is real. Sin will tell you that your spouse can meet all your needs and that you can meet all their needs without God. And that's called idolatry. Sin will also tell you that you married the wrong person and that you need to be with the person that you should be with. So you just leave your marriage. And that's not God's picture of marriage. You see, that's idolatry too, isn't it? Even though every couple is shattered by my scenario, they still prefer their spouse to be honest with them. You see, it's good to be real about sin. But it's not just marriage which is broken by sin. Sin takes hold of all our relationships and causes havoc. Listen to how Paul describes the effects of our sin in Romans 3, verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's all about relationship, isn't it? Sin warps our speech so that we cut others down. Sin drives us to violence. Sin destroys peace between people. Sin causes us to shake our fist at God. Sin breaks community with God and with others. And Paul's conclusion from Romans 3 is that all of us are like that. All of us are guilty of sin. All of us are Adam's descendants. We are stamped from the same sinful mold. Let me ask you again, do you think that the greatest threat to our community is external or internal? Jesus says internal. This is Mark chapter 7. 
And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Friends, the problem is not external. The problem is your sinful heart. The Times of London posed a question to eminent thinkers and writers of the day to write an essay in response to this question. What's wrong with the world? The author G.K. Chesterton wrote two words in response that were published in the Times. I am. Chesterton nailed it, didn't he? With honesty and humility. I am the problem with the world. Sin in me. Sin is the problem between you and God. Sin is the problem in our community with others. The Apostle James puts it this way in James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and fights amongst you, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The sin that lurks in your heart, the lustful thoughts that you have about others, the deep-seated envy of your friend, the burning anger that you have towards those who share the road with you, the fearful pride that never admits fault, all of these flow from within your heart out into your relationships and will poison them. For some of you facing the coronavirus, this is the first time you felt helpless. Let me assure you, you were helpless before this. All of us have faced an infection that is much, much worse. Except this virus, sin, has been here since Adam. The infection rate is 100%. The mortality rate is 100%. And this virus has already infected your heart. It is breaking your relationships with God and with others. But the good news is there is a cure. Not a vaccine, but a cure. And his name is Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is the cure for sick sinners like us. And the cure does not work for those who do not admit they are sick. The cure does not work for the proud, the self-reliant. The cure does not work for those who think they are better than others. The cure is for those who are sick and know they are sick. Is that you? If it is you, then please keep listening. But let me speak to those who are not yet ready to admit it. You might be listening, but you're not convinced yet. You, maybe you think that all your pressing problems are external, 
What we need is a vaccine to COVID-19. We need population growth. We need economic growth. We need to get people back into businesses. We need more social workers. We need mental health professionals. And all these things are good, and I want them too. But none of these is a solution to sin. None of these is a solution to sin's terrible companion, death. You see, we will get through COVID-19, but all of us will still face death. Right now, can you imagine anything worse than having COVID-19 in a hospital bed, all alone, struggling to breathe on a ventilator, racked with guilt about the regrets that you have in this life, filled with uncertainty about what awaits you after your death. What is the answer then? The reality is you are as helpless now as you will be then. Except Jesus says to you, if you would only trust me, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I will help you cross over from this life to eternal life. Only someone who has destroyed the power of sin, only someone who has defeated death, can provide the comfort that we need in the face of our death. And Jesus alone has those answers. Now, if you're willing to admit that sin is your great problem, then what you need to do, the Bible says, is very simple. You need to repent. In Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter confronts the people of Jerusalem with the devastation of their sin. They have just crucified Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Repentance is a change of mind that says, Jesus is the Lord of your life and you are not. And that leads to a change of behavior where you turn away from yourself and sin and you bow your knee before Jesus. Repentance is to change your mind that Jesus is your savior and you are not your savior. And it leads to a change of behavior where you received Jesus' gift of forgiveness when he died for you on the cross. Repentance is a change of your mind that you can clean up your act. But it leads to a change of behavior by working with God's Holy Spirit in you to transform you from the inside out. Let me put it very simply. Repentance is sorry, thank you, please. Sorry, Jesus, for my sin. Thank you for dying for me in my place. Please forgive me and be my Lord. Sorry, Jesus, for my sin. Thank you for dying for me in my place. Please forgive me and be my Lord. 
And repentance isn't just a one-off decision. It is a daily attitude, a posture in your relationship with Jesus. It's not just doing things. It is being humble and dependent on Jesus. And it leads to a doing things, a daily dying to yourself, turning away from sin, a commitment to living for Jesus. Repentance is an acceptance of the brokenness of sin, a recognition that you need Jesus all the time as your Savior and your Lord, and repentance is the path to healing broken relationships. Let me give you an example. Let me speak to the men watching. Men, we find it hard to say sorry, don't we? Because you're the man. You're the man. You don't admit it, but all the time you feel pressure. Pressure to be strong. Pressure to perform. Pressure to provide. Pressure of your own self-doubt. And unlike women, we don't talk about it, do we? We're stressed, but we take that stress out on those around us. We get angry. We lash out at our housemates, our wives, our children, our co-workers. And here's the thing. We won't say sorry to them. Because by doing that, we would admit that we're wrong, and we're not wrong, are we? We're scared to be weak. Instead, what we do is what Adam did. We shift the blame. Our kids are too noisy. Our wives don't listen to us. The people at work don't pull their weight. And let's be brutally honest. Our households are broken because of our sin. If you're willing to admit that, then the first thing you need to do is to repent. You're not the man. Jesus is the man. And he's always been the man. You are weak and dependent. You are broken by your sin. You need him. So say sorry, thank you, please to him. And the second thing you should do is to go and say sorry to the people you live with. If you want to see the brokenness in your relationships start to heal, the next time you get angry with your kids because of your stress, get down on your knees, look at your children in the eye and say sorry to them and ask them to forgive you. Well, not only do we need to repent, but because we are broken by sin, we need to lament. If infection numbers stay low in Melbourne, we will see more easing of restrictions. And if we get a vaccine in the next 12 months, we might see things return to normal even by sometime next year. And we're all looking forward to this. But the danger is that when life goes back to normal, we forget how broken we really are, how weak, how helpless we are. We'll get busy with our plans, our commitments, and we'll think that we're in control again. And all of that control is an illusion. We live in a broken world. Romans 8, 
chapter 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation has been groaning, subject to futility. Because of Adam's sin in the garden, God cursed our relationships. In other words, God let us have what we want. We face the consequences of our sin. The world is broken. Until such time when Jesus returns to fix everything, until then, all of us and our world is groaning. We cry out to God in helplessness. We lament. That's what the Bible calls it, lament. Lament is to experience something of the sin brokenness of this world and of your life. Lament is to cry out to, to God with the grief of our brokenness. And lament is not just tears. Lament is to trust in God's character and his works. It is to put your hope in God to right every wrong. To put your hope in God to heal the brokenness and to wipe away your tears one day. And the Bible is full of lament. Not only the Psalms, but Jesus himself taught us the importance of lamenting. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. To be poor in spirit is to recognize just how powerless you really are. To recognize how dependent you are on God for everything. People who are poor in spirit recognize that need. And there's a difference between someone who is poor in spirit and someone who has low self-esteem. You see, the person with low self-esteem is still looking at themselves. The person who is poor in spirit has moved on to look at Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who mourn recognize the devastation of sin, their own sin and the sin of the world. Those who mourn have surrendered pride and self-entitlement. Those who mourn are real about the frailty of their lives and the frailty of others. Those who mourn look to the cross of Jesus and to the return of Jesus. I had a friend who lost a child through stillbirth, and I asked him how he felt at the birth and death of his daughter. And I thought that his answer might have included anger towards God, but his answer floored me. He said that when he held the body of his lifeless daughter, he felt the heaviness of a world broken by sin and his contribution to that sin. Blessed are those who mourn. In John chapter 11, Jesus knew that his friend Lazarus was going to die, and he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus to life again. But at the tomb of his friend, Jesus wept. He didn't shed a tear. He sobbed. He wept ugly cries. 
And he cried at the devastation of sin and death and, and how it rips relationships apart. He lamented with Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, his dear friends. And on the cross, Jesus lamented to God with the words of Psalm 22, My God, why have you forsaken me? And it was on the cross that Jesus could give purpose to our lament. For we have a God who hears the cries of his people, and we have a God who is committed to fixing this broken world. Friends, we need to learn to lament, don't we? And we need to help each other to lament. Romans 12 tells us to mourn with those who mourn. And to be honest, we we struggle, don't we? We struggle even in our churches to do that. We're not good at handling each other's suffering and struggles with sin. Uh, We still think that we need to fix each other's problems. So when we see something too hard, we avoid each other because we don't know what to say. We need to learn to lament. We need to learn how to sit with each other's grief, don't we? We need to learn how to cry with each other. We need to learn how to listen and not speak. We need to learn how to point each other to Jesus rather than giving quick fixes. And we need to learn how to be vulnerable, how to lower the walls of self-protection, to learn how to cry together as we cry out to Jesus together, to depend on each other as we depend on God. And it takes practice and it's not easy. Please help me as I help you to lament. And as we come out of lockdown restrictions, can I ask you to do one thing? Leave room for lament. Leave room for it. Busy people who like to get things done leave no room for lamenting. Like Martha, we can even busy ourselves with doing things for Jesus, but not recognizing how much we need Jesus. I know because I'm one of those busy people. But Jesus said the better thing we can do is to sit at his feet and listen to him in humble dependence. Make sure you leave room for your own brokenness. Jesus is waiting for you. And make sure you leave room for others to lament. As we come out of lockdown, we're all going to be at different places. Some will be excited and want to get back to meeting again in a hurry. Others will be scared and cautious. You might share a different opinion about how many people can meet together and how often. You might share a different opinion about whether people can come to your house or you to theirs. Don't assume that everyone will be where you are at. Don't assume that everyone is strong because we are as frail and broken as each other. Be patient. Be kind. Grieve with those who grieve, and we are all grieving. Leave room to lament for those without Jesus. One of the things Jesus did before he entered Jerusalem in the week leading to his death on the cross was Jesus wept over Jerusalem and the judgment for their sin that they sat under. And I think one of the things that lockdown has exposed is how hopeless and helpless the people in our city are. What is this city without footy 
What is this city without shopping and theater and restaurants? What would Jesus think of this city of five million people? Jesus would be moved with compassion. His heart would go out to the helpless and hopeless sheep without a shepherd. And what this city needs more than footy and barbecues is Jesus. Leave room in your heart to lament for this city. Gotham City had Batman, Metropolis had Superman, and what Melbourne needs more than ever, humbled and broken by our sin, is Jesus. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father God, we thank you for your word that speaks the truth in love to us. We are broken by our sin, our relationship with others and with you. We face death if not for you. But gracious Father, thank you for Jesus, that in him we can find forgiveness and life when we repent. Thank you too, Father, for Jesus, who could lament with those who are broken. And help us, like Jesus, to be people who are humble. Help us to be people who recognize his strength in our weakness, that we might cry out together with others and that we might cry out to him. Thank you that you will wipe away our tears one day when we see you face to face. And we pray that that day would come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.